If you would, I I invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. It's the seventh book in your Bible. If you need to borrow a Bible, there's some on the back table, or you could just take it home with you. Um, If you really want to cheat, it's there in your worship guide, the text for tonight. Judges 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that He was the angel of the Lord. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Pray with me. Our Father, we are gathered here together to give you praise. 
As we heard earlier prayed, none of us stand here on our own merit. We claim only the merit of Jesus Christ. And we ask now that through your spirit that you would open up our dull hearts and minds to receive your truth. Lord, we need to hear words from life, words of life, and that comes from you. So I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I have a confession to make, and I want to, be, I want to be completely honest about this. There are times that I wish I was doing something else. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever felt that way before, ever had those, those kind of stirrings come up within you. Um, I bet you have. Uh, sometimes, even though you know where, you're, where, where God wants you and you're doing what you believe God's called you to do, you can, you can just get a little overwhelmed, you could get a little tired, and so you start daydreaming about other things and what it would be like to do other things. And this happens to me. Um, for me, uh, the, the image I have is just there are times that I long to sit in the shade of a tree that someone else has planted. I, I, just, I just long to, you know, to just sit in a, in a tree that I had nothing to do with. You know, and uh, Lauren and I might occasionally talk and just say, you know, wouldn't it be great to just go to this, uh, this huge you know, mega church where it's just super established and we could just go, we could be anonymous, sit in nice seats, sing songs, leave, go home, turn on the ball game, and just rest. We, we, we have these thoughts. I've been talking to Tyler Fuquay over the phone. Um, Tyler is in Peru right now. He's, he's already been there two weeks. He's going to be there two more weeks trying to build a boy's home in the middle of the jungle there. Let me just tell you, he is in so far over his head, it's, it's ridiculous what he is trying to do. And it, it, it would be hard to organize construction here in the States for this. It's a large project. It's, it's, there's 100 acres. It's a large boy's home. He's a student. He, he's trying to figure out the whole government structure, organization structure there. All the red tape you have to cut through, and, and we're talking, and you could just tell. It's like, I wish I didn't have to start this. I could just sit under the shade of somebody else's tree. But here he is, growing this. He's doing what the Lord has called him. And so, and so I have those thoughts some, and I think we all have those thoughts some, but here's the reality. Wherever you are in life, wherever you live, God has called you to be salt in light, in a dying world. God has given you a task. Whether you are a planter, whether you are a waterer, God has given you a mission for where you're to work and you're to bring life into this world. You're to help build His kingdom. You're commanded to make disciples of all men. And often this task is going to be greater than your abilities. There's times when you're going to be fearful, anxious, stressed, 
And you're going to begin dreaming about maybe some greener pastures. And I hope that the text tonight encourages you. We're going to look at the story of Gideon, found in the book of Judges. First off, the term judge is kind of an obstacle. Don't picture a guy in a black robe, you know, with a gavel. This is a temporary leader that God raises up to deliver Israel. This comes at a time in Israel's history where God has delivered the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt. He has taken them over into the promised land. So 400 years of slavery, delivered 40 years of wandering in dry desert. Then finally, you know, a few more years of crossing the Jordan, conquering people, settling into the land. And they are finally, finally there. They, they finally have their, you know, their little white picket fence. They've got their, their good school systems. They, they've got their neighborhoods revitalized. They've got their boys' homes built. Uh, they, they have all the shade from all the other trees. It's, it's finally, it's there. They don't have any unbelievers living with them anymore. You know, everybody on their street sings the same songs, has the same faith, goes to synagogue together. And so now they can finally sit and they can just rest. And when they do that, a strange thing happened. In their rest and their comfort, as they set up their you know, hammocks and they're sipping their lattes by the Jordan River, that's, that's my image, God no longer becomes a necessity. He doesn't. He's, he's no longer a necessity. He, he's, he's just a good option. They no longer have to have him. Um, he was no longer the, the sustaining bread. God was more thought of as like the little cherry on top of their dessert. It's a good option, but you don't have to have it. And so God brings in pain. God brings in suffering into their life to remind them of their need for him. Uh, I've heard it said that God shouts to us or whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts to us in our pain. And so he brings pain in here so they could hear his voice again. So they could call out to him, which is what they do. And God sends a deliverer. He raises up Gideon to come and to deliver them just like Moses had delivered them. And there's more written about Gideon in the book of Judges than any other judge. And so it's kind of a good paradigm for us to see how God saves his people and how he uses them. The story begins with the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon. When you, when you read that, the angel of the Lord, that's, that's the Lord himself. Anytime is the angel of the Lord. And that's why sometimes the language is just the Lord is saying this. Sometimes it's the angel of the Lord. But this is the Lord coming down in human form right here. Look at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is setting itself up to be a comedy at this point. Uh, th this is really funny here. I mean, Gideon, 
You would thresh wheat on top of a mountain so the wind could blow the chaff. But Gideon, he's not at a threshing floor. He is in a wine press, hiding from people. He doesn't want the Midianites to come into raid and to take what he has. And so he is a scared man. And yet the angel comes to him and greets him and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And you kind of, you know, you picture Gideon kind of looking around like, you're, you're talking to me? Is this like a sick joke that you would say this? And when you read this, there's a temptation to think God is mocking Gideon, just using sarcasm. And there's actually some commentaries that said that's exactly what's going on. But I don't think that's the case. What's happening here and what will prove to be true is when God looks at Gideon, he doesn't just see who he is now. He sees who he will become. He sees how he will be used. He sees his potential. And he knows that he's going to become a mighty man of valor. When God God calls us to a task, it's not because he's looking down on us and is impressed. You know, he's not like, hey, man, look at that Joel there. Gosh, he's, gosh, he's got so many gifts. Man, I, I wonder if I could use that. That, that. That's not, no, God, we are who we are because God declares that. He declares what will be, and you will be a mighty man of valor, and Gideon is going to become that through God's declaration. All of this begins rubbing Gideon the wrong way, um, especially the part about the Lord being with him. And so look at verse 13. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us in the hand of Midian. Gideon looks at his circumstances and he says, Hey, sir, Look around. All right, just, just, just take a look around. If, if God was with me, do you think my life would look like this? Do you think I would be in this place? I wouldn't be working this hard. Do you think I would live in fear all of the time, every moment? Please. All those incredible stories that I heard growing up, yeah, I heard those stories, and you know what they are? They're fairy tales. Because the God that I heard maybe my parents tell me about, the God that I have read about, I don't see that God anywhere. Now, I I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Likely you have. Likely you have. That when you take a look at the God of the Bible and you see all that He has done, I mean, miracle after miracle, and then like partings of the Red Sea, plagues, manna from heaven, always providing. And you look at that God, and then you look at your own life, you, you see this disconnect. You're like, where is that God in my life? That's, you're, you're tempted to think that's just, that's just fairy tales. So you begin doubting whether all the things you grew, grew up hearing, all the things you've read are really true. And here's God's response in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel 
from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Once again, this is hilarious. All right, so God answers Gideon's doubt by completely ignoring his question. I mean, he asks this question and God just completely ignores it. You know, we're asking God, God, if you're real, why is there so much suffering? Why is my life looking like this? And God says, go in this might of yours. What? Well, once again, he, he's declaring how he sees you. He says, this is how I see you. This is what will happen. Don't look around at your circumstances. I'm declaring to you who you are. There is no doubt in his mind that you will be fearless, that you will be strong. There's doubts all in our minds, but there's not any doubt in God's because he can create light out of darkness. And so it's going to happen. And just let me say, at this point in Gideon's life, I'm not even sure if he is a believer. Um, We find out um, next, a little bit further down in the story, that he grew up in a household that had idols there for everybody to come and worship other idols at his house. Um, So if, if he is a believer, it's very nominal faith, very small faith. Uh, Maybe faith of a mustard seed. Never do we find him excited about what God is declaring. And so after he hears that declaration, he he asks God this question. God gives him a non-response. Now objections start coming from Gideon. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, he says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Gideon says, I'm not of the right social status to do what you're calling me to do. I come from a weak clan, and let's be honest, I'm the weakest in the clan. And he's not just being, you know, false humility here. We can look at his life. He's telling the truth. Today, this objection would be played out along the lines of, all right, Lord, I hear you calling, but I don't really have the right qualifications, the right background for this task. I don't have the right education. I don't have enough money. I don't come from the right social class. Um, this is a task for some respected, wealthy, knowledgeable person with a lot of connections. So God's response in verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. In some ways, this is also a non-response. Because he doesn't really address those issues. It's just like, yeah, but I'm going to be with you. And this is one of the most important promises that we can ever have. That God will be with us. Um, When God says that he will be with Gideon, he's... He's really saying this, Gideon, Gideon, I'm hearing your objections, I'm hearing all this. Just, hey, don't think so highly of yourself. You're really a non-factor in this equation. All right? It's not like I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to be with you. Uh, This is kind of the image that I have in my mind when I think of this. Uh, The year after I graduated from college, I went to Jamaica on a mission trip. Not your nice Jamaica, your... Your slum Jamaica. And uh, 
One night, I decided to go out into the town, and we're, we're in the middle of just nowhere, but there was a town we knew that was somewhat nearby. And so I decided to go there with one of my friends, a guy named Andy Lauer, and uh, he was a cheerleader at Georgia. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, he was a boy cheerleader. The guy was massive, absolutely massive. He, he had more muscles in his ears than I had in my whole body. And, and so we were walking down, and we hear music. And so we kind of follow the music, and finally we find our way in this town, and it is a ghost town. We're wondering, where is everybody? And we're just walking around, and we walk around the corner, and there is a street party. There's about 200, 300 people in the street, all dancing to music, and it was like a bad movie scene. The moment we rounded the corner, the music stopped, and everybody turned and looked at us, and it was just total dead silence. We're like, what the heck are we doing here? And as we were like, just, we'll just keep walking. We're nodding. We're saying, hey, nothing. No reaction from anybody. And so we get to the middle of all of these people here, and they're just looking at us. And I'm, I'm just kind of getting close to Andy. And, uh, and Andy, he grabs a kid. And the kid's like looking at him with like all bright-eyed, and people are just about to come in. He says, make yourself straight. He's straight. The kid makes himself straight, and he throws the kid up, and he just balances him. He just starts balancing him like this. And he goes, hmm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's just looking at us so serious, and they go, yeah, and they all cheered, and people started, they started doing flips down the street, they started doing handstands, it became basically a talent show in the middle of there. But I was just along for the ride. There was nothing, that, I mean, it's not like I could say, hey, yeah, you know, <laughs> you don't, don't mess with me, nobody's even looking at me, they're looking at Mr. Muscle. And that's that's what God is when he comes alongside. You know what? You're a non-factor in this equation. Can you just kind of be quiet and let me me handle it? You're you're along for the ride as we do this ministry together. That's what's happening here. All that matters is whether the Lord is with Gideon or not. The Lord's first words to Gideon in verse 12 were, the Lord is with you. And then now he says, I will be with you. So he is with you and he will be with you. And when I was studying this text, I I decided to look up every time in Scripture that God says, I will be with you and I am with you. And I thought it was going to be a really long, exhaustive study. There would be hundreds of these um, in the Old Testament. And there's not. God says, I am with you only 12 times in the Old Testament. And he says, I will be with you only nine times. That's it. So 21 times. Some of those are in the exact same stories. Uh, He he declares, I will be with you to Isaac. As, As Isaac is in the middle of a famine and he's trying to decide where to go in Genesis 26. Genesis 31, he says, I will be with you to Jacob as he had just told Jacob to go and meet his brother Esau, who was trying to kill him. He says it to Joshua, I will be with you, right before Joshua is about to go into the promised land. And so you have those instances like that where God is basically giving a task, and then he says, I will be with you. And eight of those nine are all task-oriented. One of them is semi-task-oriented. Now, the I am with you, I want us to take time to walk through all 12. 
It's, it's going to take just, just a moment. We're going to walk through all 12 times in Scripture that God says, I am with you. The first is in Genesis 26. It's Isaac. He keeps digging wells and people keep taking them from him. He digs another well, people take. Digs another well, take. Because nobody recognizes that he owns the land, that God gave it to him. And that he's trying to be salt and light and he is trying to to, to form God's people. And God says, behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. Sorry, sorry. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And I will bless you, and I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. The next comes in Genesis 28, when Jacob is scared to death and he's fleeing from Esau. He has never prayed at this moment in his life. He's been nothing but a liar and a cheat. And he's running away and he falls asleep, kind of collapses, and God appears to him and says this, Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The next is in Isaiah 41. This is when Babylon has come to destroy Israel. And God speaks through the prophet Isaiah saying this, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Later in Isaiah 43, he says this, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. The next six come from the book of Jeremiah. So half of all of them come from Jeremiah. When God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's scared out of his mind. And so in Jeremiah 1.8, God says, don't be afraid of these people, for I am with you to deliver you. Later in verse 19, he says, yes, they're going to fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord. To deliver you. God has to remind Jeremiah of this again later in Jeremiah or in chapter 15. He says, And I will make to you this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So our three times here, he's reminding Jeremiah that he is with him. He's not to be scared. He is with him. He's going to save him. Now the other three times, Jeremiah tells this message to Israel. Israel's been taken into captivity. They're frightened. They're scared. Their whole life has fallen apart. And God says this in chapter 30. I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. And I will make a full end of the nations among you whom I've scattered. Later in chapter 42, he tells the people of Israel, Do not fear the king of Babylon, whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you. I will grant you mercy. And again in 46, he says, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. I am with you. 
I will make a full end of all the nations to which I've driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. And then many years later, after, after the captivity and the Israelites return back, and they realize Israel is in shambles. They're, they're scared out of their minds. How, how is God going to protect them? How are they going to make a living? The land's been decimated. And now they're trying to rebuild the temple. And we read this. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the final one is in Haggai 2, when he encourages Zerubbabel to finish the temple despite all of his fears, despite all of the obstacles. He says this, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, work, for I am with you. All right, that's all 12. Why did I take time to walk through every time God has said in the Old Testament that He is with us? He says, I am with you. It's because I want you to see a pattern, and I hope you saw it. Every time He says, I am with you, it's because the people are scared out of their minds. They are oppressed. They are fearful. And they feel so vulnerable and weak. And most of the other times when he says, I will be with you, it's in the same situation, plus he's given them a task to do. So God promises to be present with us during these times. He says, I want you, you know, yes, you feel weak. Yes, you're scared of your mind, out of your mind. But don't look around you. I know there's no evidence at all that I am here, but I am with you. Despite what your eyes see, despite what you feel, I am with you. Therefore, whatever I call you to do will succeed. Now, in light of all of this, I want you to hear the task that Jesus gives the church. I'm with you only two times in the New Testament, and we're going to look at one of them here. In Matthew 28, what we know is the Great Commission. As Jesus is ascending, he tell, tells his disciples in Matthew 28, we read this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you here to hear that in light of all those other times that God has said He is with us. He is with people. When Jesus is saying this here, you know what He's implying? I know the task is enormous. I know you feel weak. I know you feel scared out of your mind. I know you're unqualified. I can hear every one of those objections. But know this, I am with you. I'm with you. And this is different than all the other I am with you's. 
he adds one word to it. I am with you always. I will never, ever leave you. You see, there's this, there's this question that as you go through Judges that keeps popping up in my head. It's, you find it in the end of the story we just read. It's when Gideon finally perceives, oh my gosh, I was just talking to the Lord. And it kind of hits him. And he realizes he was pretty rude. And, and he's like, he knows what happens to people who talk to the Lord. They die. And that's when God says, no. Peace be to you. Don't fear you shall not die. And it says Gideon built there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And that's the first time we have in Scripture the Lord declared to be peace or shalom. But Gideon knows his sin. We don't even know if he's a believer here, really. He's being called to be a judge, but now he's standing before the judge. How, how, does this, how can God declare peace to him? And we know this that when Gideon is pointing us forward to the Prince of Peace, he is pointing us forward to Jesus. And this might sound cheesy here, but this, this hit me so hard this week. We do sit in the shade of another tree. We do. We go to the cross and we sit in the shade of that tree and we find rest. Colossians 1.20 says, Christ reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the Lamb. And so God does declare to us that peace through the cross. We do rest there. And that's why God can say, I am with you always. Always. And I hope you find this an encouragement. Whatever task God has called you, that yes, you're unqualified. Yes, you're probably fearful. But you know what? You're not that important. You're kind of a non-factor in the equation. God is with you, so don't lose heart and do what he has called you to do as the church. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that we get to sit under the shade of that tree. We don't have to work and to work and to work and to work and it all be fruitless. We get to rest in the finished work of Christ. And you've given us your spirit and you will never leave us. And God, you have not given us your spirit for us to sit, for us to remain fearful. You've given us your spirit to complete the task that you have given us to go and to make disciples of all men. And so I pray that we would run in that commandment with all of our heart and our soul. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.